Heads up, everybody. I'm B. Francis Clark. And I'm Anton Anderson. And this is Sky is Black, future-facing conversations with experts, innovators, and entrepreneurs of African descent. Covering the entire black African diaspora. Worldwide, baby. Worldwide. Shout out to Tarika Barrett. Sister Tarika is CEO of Girls Who Code, which has now served over 500,000 is female techies. You can follow her on Twitter at Dr. Tarika Barrett, T-A-R-I-K-A-B-A-R-R-E-T-T, with a D-R in front of all that, and learn more at girlswhocode.com. Shout out to Michael Broughton. He's the founder and CEO of Altro, and they are a, a resource, a service that helps you build your credit and financial power through recurring payments and subscriptions that you use every day. So imagine, you know, your various, you know, streaming subscriptions, the things that you're making these small payments to every single day, um, helping improve your credit score and improve your credit worthiness. Um, he was profiled in Time Magazine as one of Time's best inventions of 2022. And you can find out more about him and about Altro at altro.io. And that's A-L-T-R-O dot I-O. Shout out to all those participating in the HANDS Summit, H-A-A-N-D-S, Historic African-American Neighborhood and District Summit. The Hand Summit has brought together local leaders from across the country who share a commitment to the preservation and equitable redevelopment of historic African-American neighborhoods and commercial districts. You can follow them on Twitter at underscore H-A-A-N-D-S and learn more at H-A-A-N-D-S dot org. And shout out to Bobby Wilson. She is a fourth grade student in New Jersey, and she made the news recently when she was testing out like a homemade uh, spray against an invasive species that we've all been told to squish anytime we've seen it, uh, the, the lanternfly. And uh, she made the news because she was doing that, testing it out in her neighborhood, and someone called the cops on her. Um, a former Republican official called the cops on her. But the story actually has a happier ending. Uh, Dr. Ijoma Opara um, found her, and she's an assistant professor at Yale, and she brought her in and invited her in to get a science tour there at Yale. And and so what could have been a just a terrible feel bad type of story mm-hmm. um, has turned around and become a feel good story. And you can find out more about what went on um, in terms of how she got a chance to experience some, a really unique visit to Yale and go Yale uh, on Twitter at Dr. Ijoma Opara. And that's I J E O M A O P A R A PhD at Twitter. And shout out to Jaquil Constant. Brother Jaquil is the executive director of the Haiti International Film Festival and the producer and director of the documentary Haiti is a Nation of Artists. You can follow him on Twitter at Jaquil Constant, J-A-C-Q-U-I-L-C-O-N-S-T-A-N-T and learn more at HaitiInternationalFilmFestival.org. And shout out to Karen Bass, who was just recently elected mayor of Los Angeles. You can find out more about her at KarenBass.com. And what's interesting, I mean, first of all, congratulations on the victory. Mm -hmm. But an interesting thing about that, that with her election, now the four largest cities in America are led by people of African descent. So there's Eric Adams in New York, mayor of New York. Um, Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, mm-hmm. Sylvester Turner in Houston. What up, fam? Karen Bass. Amen. And thank you, Wayfarers and Wakandans, for joining us in the Pure Vibranium Circle. So, we are a global platform, and so we have to give a shout-out to our brothers and sisters in Chattanooga and Kanakri and Misrata and Matola and Zaragoza, and Leipzig, and Lucerne, and Versailles, and St. Catherine, and Lyon, and Seattle, and Cozumel, 
and everywhere the African diaspora is holding down a Wakanda suburb. Including Tehran, we stand with the protesters who were recently being imprisoned and who are being threatened with death Mm -hmm. for protesting injustice in their country. And so we pray for peace. We pray for their safety, mm-hmm. for being able to, to speak out against their government, to be able to speak out against things they feel are unfair without being potentially murdered, executed. Mm-hmm. Let justice roll down. So if you're not a person of African descent, why should you be fully invested in this podcast? Well, because we're your favorite podcast. That's right. <laughs> I mean, we're your favorite podcast. And and part of why we, if we're not your favorite podcast, we should be and will mm-hmm. be, is that we are talking about people who are moving us all forward. We're focused on the, the black diaspora, but at the same time, we're also moving forward. And so if you are a citizen of the world, which you are, uh, do you see that picture, by the way, of the whole Artemis mission where they had one of the first times and it's been in a long time where they've had a picture of like the whole earth from a distance there's a probe going around it's actually a uh, a test flight of the artemis and orion uh spacecraft and it's going to go back out around the moon and actually and so they're going to get these shots showing our whole planet i have not seen that image yet it's a great picture and when you look at that picture there's no borders there's no line saying you're in this country or that country it's just one beautiful blue sphere and so looking at it from the, that perspective, you know, we're all together. We're all in this mm-hmm, together. Mm-hmm. And so what our goal is, is to highlight those who are taking us forward. And so why should you care? Because much like on your own body, if a certain part of your body is neglected or hurt or something else, you're going to notice it and you're going to pay attention to it. And, you know, in so many cases, there have been... Um, communities of color, particular black communities that have not been paid attention to or or are in fact suffering. And so we're highlighting those who are driving towards that healing, driving us forward, driving us to a better, a better place. And to add to that, let me offer a quick quote from Toni Morrison. She said, please don't settle for happiness. It's not good enough. Of course you deserve it. But if that's all you have in mind, happiness I want to suggest to you that personal success devoid of meaningfulness, free of a steady commitment to social justice, that is more than just a barren life. It's a trivial one. Amen. So the last thing that we will ever, ever do is promote a trivial, meaningless life. So today, we conclude season one of our Conversation of Conversations. We're going to discuss Wakanda forever. We are home. We're also going to consider some other potentially great films on our radar, including Emancipation, starring Will Smith on Apple TV+, the brave new film Chevalier, which is about the 18th century Afro-French Parisian violinist and composer Joseph Boulogne, Chevalier de Saint George, and the upcoming Marcus Garvey film, starring none other than Winston Duke. Nice. We'll, of course, mark our calendars, this time with the Beyond King Tut Immersion Exhibit and the DARE one-year anniversary conference. We're going to reflect on the United Nations Climate Summit that just took place in Egypt. We'll talk a little bit more about the upcoming Hulu series Kindred, based on the book by Octavia Butler. And we're going to share what we've learned over the course of Season 1 and what you can expect from us for Season 2 money moves stand up Mm -hmm. so a very packed episode to close out the season for you so hashtag spoiler alert if you have not seen the movie and you should go see it um you might want to pause don't you dare listen to this podcast if you've not seen the movie yeah because we're going to spoil it because we're going to start talking about it so hashtag spoiler alert and so after four years since the original Black Panther. Are you playing the drums? And after a year of anticipating it on the Sky is Black podcast, you best believe I'm playing some drums. And after $330 million at the box office opening weekend, your 
initial reaction to Wakanda Forever is amazing. It was amazing. You know, it's rare for a sequel. Well, I shouldn't say it's rare. It's hard for a sequel to live up to the first movie. Rare. That's just for movies in general. Hardly ever happens. Shout out Godfather 2. <laughs> Rocky 2. You know, and on top of yeah, not Rocky too. And on top of that, it's even tougher if you're in a situation to where you don't have the central protagonist. And yet, and yet, they did it. They pulled it off. It was a great movie. I saw it more than once. Great movie. And for me, this movie, first of all, Acorn City. <laughs> yes, we're here under the, on the tech deck, and it's Acorn season mm-hmm. here. And so you love hear it. the acorns. Popping down, getting ready to provide nourishment to the squirrels and such. But this movie provides some nourishment to to us. Mm -hmm. You know, for those who are fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and in particular for those who are fans of Black Panther, the movie that came out in 2018, Mm -hmm. you know, Chadwick Boseman, you know, was, was the Black Panther. Um, and so I, he did such a great job and was so iconic in that role. And the whole notion of like, you know, when he passed away and suddenly in 2020, you know, what do you do? Now, where were you at the time in terms of recast Chadwick? Which side of that debate were you on? I, you know, I was not certain. I mean, I think that long term, you do need to recast him, mm-hmm. uh, recast someone into that role. Or maybe not. I mean, I think what's interesting about Black Panther as a character in the comics is that Black Panther was never a specific person. A it, mantle. Yes, as it says in the movie, a mantle. So it's it's a role that someone takes on. Mm-hmm. You know, just as, here's your spoilers, hope you were listening. Mm-hmm. You know, just in the same way that Shuri now is Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Black Panther isn't any one person. And even in the introductory credits of the initial movie, mm-hmm. uh, it talked about how so-and-so was the first Black Panther. And so ultimately someone else should be Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Whether they should be T'Challa specifically like I think you know the, the what's interesting is that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been going for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Iron Man came out like like fifteen twenty years ago, right? The movie Iron Man, you mean? Yeah, the movie Iron Man. Probably. Hold on. Uh, came out in two thousand and eight, and so that's quite a ways back. And so what might be interesting is that you know these movies don't come out every single year, at least not in terms of any one particular character being the focus. So you could have little T'Challa mm-hmm. you know, come out in a couple of years. I mean, timelines don't mat- match up so much, mm-hmm. but they could do a movie in like you know three or four years that shows like a teenage T'Challa, T'Challa Jr., that is. And they can do it even sooner than that in an alternate timeline. Yeah, I mean they could do something. They could do whatever they want. But I mean, but but the whole idea, you know, should there be another Black Panther? Absolutely, because Shuri's Black Panther now. Mm-hmm. But also looking ahead, you know, into the larger arc of the stories and such, I think that definitely there there should be. And to answer your question of do I think they should have recast T'Challa specifically? Mm-hmm. You know, given the the charismatic performance that Chadwick. Bozeman did, mm-hmm. I'm not sure that you actually could have recast anyone into mm-hmm. that role mm-hmm. and done it successfully and mm-hmm. not had it be like this, especially because he died. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it'd be one thing if if Chadwick had been like, I'm out of here and I quit. But the fact that he had been planning to do it and had mm-hmm. wanted to do it mm-hmm. and then, you know, fell ill and passed away, mm-hmm. I don't know how you, you can't fill those shoes. And I think that this movie did a great job of, and it's rare because, you know, comic movies, you know, Marvel movies, um, all comic book movies in general, mm-hmm. while they do have their grief aspects to it, because most of these superheroes have some tragic event that happens to them that sort of kicks them off, or if you're a mutant in the mutant world, all you know, kind of that triggers things to kick in. There's always these things. Or, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, all of them. Yes, they all have those moments, and yet... For and this yet. movie, um, 
grief was at the center of it Mm -hmm. the whole way i mean so it wasn't that grief or a tragic event kicked everything off Mm -hmm. but grief was the center of of this movie Mm -hmm. and that's unusual for an action movie for it to be so centered on that and i you know really i actually i like that i mean because what i think going back to your question about does it live up to the hype you know in some regards for a lot of us in the in the African diaspora, mm-hmm. you know the oh, it's a diaspora. the The grief, the 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 ongoing hole, the ongoing mm-hmm. you know wound of our separation, mm-hmm. you know, is central to our identity. Mm-hmm. It's central to our story, mm-hmm. even if we're not touching it every single day, even if we're not grieving every single day. You know, that is in many cases very central to to our experience and so in not a direct echo but i would say that you know in some regards that's part of i think the appeal of the movie is that it has at it this this very transformative grief that is at the center of it and i think that there's it it resonates i think in so many i mean the movie in general resonates in so many ways but i think that that particular aspect of it definitely resonates do you think it resonates in the same way for non-African or non-pan-African audiences? Um, maybe a little different, but I mean, but I'd also would say that it would resonate if you're a fan. I mean, if you're a fan of Black Panther, the original movie, the mm-hmm. 2018 movie, mm-hmm. and if you're a fan, a fan of Chadwick Boseman, then it would resonate to you to an extent at a certain level. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not... Just to clarify, I'm not saying that everyone's like, oh, this reminds me of the wound that we have from our ancestors. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that, you know, having this story being centered on that mm-hmm. is, um, is, a, is, I would say, a, a familiar place for people in the African diaspora. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not a place that we're always seeking, but I would say it's a familiar place in terms of, you know, having things that are centered on those sorts of things. Uh, can be there and, the, and yet and yet i also say that in general mm-hmm. being able to go back to wakanda is a tremendous thing being able to be in a place when we talk about this podcast being an afrofuturist podcast and we talk about the building the road to wakanda we're going back to conda conda <laughs> conda we're going back to conda yeah i think so <laughs> but but the thing is is that you know when we talk about that Part of that was because of this movie, Wakanda. I mean, Black mm-hmm. Panther was actually one of the early on, you know, from 1966 superheroes in the Marvel Universe. But that movie allowed the larger population to see it and to sort of allow yourself to escape into it. And so being able to go back there and to see a space that where we can just be mm-hmm. and just be ourselves and that is centered on our own black African experience, it's tremendous and as an aside if you are of mesoamerican heritage mm-hmm. seeing um talokan mm-hmm. was i mean i'm not mesoamerican but i thought it was spectacular it was and yes, it absolutely positively was i mean i want to go back and see that movie in imax specifically for those scenes when mm-hmm. they're underwater mm-hmm. and they're going to talakon and they're exploring the whole thing i mm-hmm. want that in imax mm-hmm. and you know done for me you know much in the same way that i came out of the very first black panther bursting with pride mm-hmm. i mean pride over a fictional place but being able to 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 see and imva- imagine a place for us mm-hmm. centered on us i just from watching the twitter feeds and looking through social media people um of mesoamerican latin american mm-hmm. descent are having the same experience mm-hmm. or having a similar experience mm-hmm. seeing you know their world portrayed you know as strong and noble mm-hmm. and not just sort of glossed over as some ruthless savages mm-hmm. but you know where you know people talk about namor you know is he really a villain per se he's kind of an anti-hero you know but is he a villain i don't know i mean what do you think well over the course of the comic books he was all of those things, actually. He was a villain sometimes. He was the anti-hero sometimes. He was the partner in crime mm-hmm. or the partner in salvation from time to time. 
I know that this particular film was not the original film that was intended. Obviously, right. Chadwick passed away, and so they had to pivot and do something else, do something different. These themes that you're talking about, grief, mm-hmm. shout out to Angela Bassett. Oh, she was um, spectacular. She was, so I'm not sure she if those was magnificent. Things, I'm not sure if those things were necessarily part of the original story. Well, no, I don't think they were. I mean, the some of the readings, some of the reviews and things like that had talked about how originally the plan had been, you know, what T'Challa's experience was coming back from the snap and him grieving the loss of time and things like that. And you've seen that in some of the other um sort of post-Avengers Endgame movies that have come out since then. And and quite frankly, that is a bit of a... It's a little bit less potent. And I think that if, you know, if you are a fan of... If you're a fan of Chadwick Boseman, if you're a fan of Black, the original Black Panther movie, then to me, I think you're going to find this to be a, a really fitting tribute to Chadwick Boseman. Um, and a, I mean, and ladies and gentlemen, listeners, please go, you can Google it. I mean, there's a million Easter eggs where they talk about like, you know, the license plate is his birthday mm-hmm. and all these right, other things. Exactly. And there's, there's all kinds of ways in which um, maybe not quite every single scene, but in a lot of scenes are very subtle tributes to him that the cast and the, and the art directors and the costume designers and everyone sort of put in Mm -hmm. to make a tribute to, to Chadwick, you know, but I think the movie overall does a nice job of that and is, um, moving the, moving the Marvel cinematic universe ahead Mm -hmm. in the sense of introducing, frankly, the first mutant, because the mutants um, have generally not been part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which, even though in the comics they are, but as far as you know, the movies are concerned, there's some legalese. Yeah, the lawyers, be, you know, it's need been, to be addressed. It's because of the the licensing of who was able to use which properties in their movies, mm-hmm. and so introducing Namor as a mutant. I am a mutant. Uh, is is really powerful, and I just can't go back and emphasize enough about. And, and it's funny because at the end of the day, it's about the marketing and the money. Because even though Namor and Aquaman, the DC universe, came around at the same time, and they both, mm-hmm. you know, the comic books are from Atlantis and everything else, part of the rationale of moving Namor and his whole civilization over to the Mayan culture and to you know Central America mm-hmm. wasn't because they're being particularly magnanimous. It was really so that way they wouldn't just be repeating atlantis because it's already been kind of done mm-hmm. and yet and yet i think they did an incredible job they i am did. so i mean and we've talked about this in other episodes ever since i saw the trailer mm-hmm. i was excited and i'm so glad that i didn't see the trailer because i'm still confident that i was the only person in the theater who was enjoying the film fully you know i disagree i am glad i saw the trailer mm-hmm. because there was first of all the trailer is a is this whole pastiche of different scenes where you th- which I should go back and watch the trailer right now and confirm what I <laughs> was fearing. If you watch the trailer, you'll see that there's these scenes where they're actually using you know what you think is Namor's spear being driven into the ground. And it's really o- Okoye's spear. You know, it's different things with that they're they're telling a different story with a pastiche of scenes from it. I'll still be irate post viewing. Good for you. Post viewing. <laughs> I, I thought it was a lovely appetizer to right. wet my appetite okay. for the movie All right. All right. because I got so excited that because I mean, because everyone who's followed the comic books would know that like Namor is originally from Atlantis. We're kind of like, well, well, okay, Atlantis. Okay. Well, well how are they, how's it going to compare to what happened with Aquaman and his version of Atlantis? And so they made a marketing decision and a marketplace decision to move Mm-hmm. that so it's it's different from the comic books and the fact that they gave you know the mayan civilization mm-hmm. and mesoamerican culture mm-hmm. a similar treatment to what happened in black culture and african culture in wakanda mm-hmm. and they did it so well i mean mm-hmm. magnificent i mean the headdresses and the and and the and the murals and, and the whole thing and the fact it was, that it's it was gorgeous and that's they're speaking mayan mm-hmm. They're speaking Mayan. Mm-hmm. I'll admit, I did a deep dive. I bought like the soundtrack and everything else on the soundtrack. 
there's people who are freestyling and rapping in mm-hmm. Mayan. I mean, and so the the respect being paid to that culture, which mm-hmm. is movies notwithstanding, already a magnificent culture. Mm-hmm. That is so frequently dismissed in the Western world. It's like, oh, they're just a bunch of savages that got conquered and, you know, you know, there you go. We took their gold. Well, I have been down there and it's absolutely beautiful. The Yucatan Peninsula, Chichen Itza, magnificent. Yeah. And so to me, to be able to speak to that and say much in the same way that Wakanda, you know, puts out the thought experiment of what would it be like if, you know, there would it be like? you know, a a powerful non-colonized country. And it was absolutely powerful. Right. Um, and it's a powerful thing for those of us in the diaspora. And and to see that sim- a similar treatment being done mm-hmm. to the Mayan culture, mm-hmm. saying, you know, and there's an e- and even Namor himself is like, this is what the air is so pure where no one had to move or change or, mm-hmm. or you know, where you could just kind of be. Mm-hmm. To give that same treatment to that culture, mm-hmm. you know, while it was done for, for business reasons, mm-hmm. I'm glad that it was done mm-hmm. in what, I mean, as best I can tell mm-hmm. from my friends who are, who, who are from that, uh, that ethnicity, mm-hmm. they love it. Mm-hmm. And they, I can't help but think they're having a similar experience. Um, and like I said, I want to see it in IMAX because I want to go back mm-hmm. to Talakan. Mm-hmm. And, and so... To me, I think that's really fantastic, and it's you know I think it moves the Marvel Cinematic Universe forward. We've talked many times on this show about you know expanding the tent and making room for more stories, and so because I mean let's face it, the story of Atlantis has been said over and over and over again, and so all of a sudden there's a whole new place they could do a whole movie on Namor. Mm-hmm. My enemies call me Namor. Yeah, and I love how they reinvented the name too. No love, baby. You could do a whole movie about that, and guess what? Mm-hmm. I'll go see it. I'll, I will absolutely go see it. I mean, so to me, that is a great example. You know, when people talk about, like, you know, why should you care about any of these things if you're not part of those cultures, mm-hmm. is that the stories there are amazing. Mm-hmm. And I would lo- take me to Talakan mm-hmm. and let me hear a, you know, Mesoamerican futuristic, myofuturistic, I'm not sure what the term would be. Take me down that path. Tell me that story. Mm-hmm. Give me the cultural references that will be that will be fresh and new to mm-hmm. me. But if you're from that culture, you're kind of like, yeah, that's my great grandmother's story. You talk about sort of cultural references. I'm not sure if Kugler was necessarily trying to do this, but I think of the shot with Lupita mm-hmm. standing in front of the pyramid mm-hmm. looking out mm-hmm. if people want to sort of look up the Olmec culture mm-hmm. O-L-M-E-C culture the connection between Africa and Mexico I'm not sure if he's necessarily tying those two together but my suspicion is he is I would think so too I mean at the end of the day you know, there's actually more that we have in common than we have that drives us apart I mean that's true writ large across all humanity but I would Rid say, to the large. But I would say, in terms of you know, um, Latin American culture and Black culture, we have we have a lot of overlap. Um, both in terms of I mean, just look at Afro-Cuban culture. You look at Puerto Rican culture. You know, look at Brazilian culture. I mean, the the overlap is huge. Right. And so, you know, I think that that connection. Yeah, the Olmec. You know, I mean, I think it's 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 a great connection. And when you look at the movie, you know, Talokan and Wakanda have far more in common mm-hmm. with each other mm-hmm. than they really do with the outside world mm-hmm. relative to each one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, it'll be very interesting. Uh, to see what happens in terms of this alliance mm-hmm. because you know to an extent they kind of need each other and and yet and yet you know telecon pretty powerful i mean at the towards the end of the arguably movie arguably more powerful in terms of like armies and strengths and, and more the, powerful yeah and and so you know i i'm i find it it'll be very interesting to see sort of how that all plays out because i think you know in that world I think, you know, we even heard um, 
I can't remember her name, but um, the woman, the CIA director played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who I think did a great job. You know, she said, I dream of when America can, like, control vibranium, mm-hmm. which sounds so American. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, they're coming for them. I mean, mm-hmm. they're already, the whole movie kicks off with them coming for them, mm-hmm. doing these, you know, secret raids on the Wakandan outposts. And so, you know, they're coming for them. Mm-hmm. And so, the question is, is, you know, to what extent does it align with Namor's interests to help Wakanda? And in other times, when does it align with his interest to do his own thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and quite frankly, let the Wakandans take the fall for it. Mm-hmm. Because in every instance, when something was going on, like, it's got to be the Wakandans, it's got to be the Wakandans. Right. There's, there's an inherent interest in Namor in keeping his people secret. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they become an actual secret weapon of Wakanda. But also maybe Namor does some things that he probably may not mm-hmm. ought to be doing mm-hmm. and let the Wakandans take the fall for it. And so it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Mm-hmm. And can I say one word about that? You can say many words about that. One word. You can say many. Sirens. The scene with the sirens singing and hypnotizing people, and they are mm. walking off, and that whole mm, 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 was like amazing. I was like, I was like blown away. I can't even. I'll say it again. I think that those scenes were really fantastic, and it talks about the the various weapons at their disposal. So not just vibranium, mm-hmm. and not just superhuman strength mm-hmm. given to them by the vibranium. You know that they the plant vibranium they, warehouse. Yeah, the 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 juice, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but being able to do all these different things and and I think I think it's just such a that was a those scenes were really fantastic, uh, and and it played back into I mean the sirens singing you know that that whole sort of hypnosis thing. I think was the one little callback to Atlantis. That whole so, one little callback to uh-huh. to quote classical unquote mythology. Greek sirens. Right. Now, any other scenes that you like that have stuck with you that moved you in some way? Uh, I, you know, to me, the, the, the scenes with the sirens, um, I thought was really powerful. Mm-hmm. Both, both times when they, when they showed up, when they showed up in Wakanda and when they showed up in the Atlantic. I love the scene where the, the whale comes out of the water and lifts them onto the bridge for the fight scene. Mm-hmm. Breach to the bridge. <laughs> I just love that for whatever reason. My wife and I went on a date night to see this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, our first date night like that. First out night on the movie since before uh, our daughter was born because pandemic and everything else. Um, and so we were there opening night. And one scene in particular was when Shuri went to the ancestral plane mm-hmm. and you know walks around the throne mm-hmm. and there's Killmonger. Mm-hmm. You can't, I can't even tell you how many people in the, in the theater were like, oh, sh-. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you go back to say, oh, the, the trailer was a spoiler. Well, no, because that wasn't in there. Right. And only an idiot would spoil it to that degree. Right. And I mean, talk about an unexpected twist. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, I mean, while I, in general, Cannot say that I'm on like Team Killmonger, mm-hmm. but I will say he had a point. You know, are you going to be noble or are you going to handle business? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that you know having the him is in to, there is to nobly handle business. Yeah, is the challenge, is the parable, is the paradox, is the quandary. And so I think having having him in there made for an interesting thing. And as I've had a chance to think about it a little mm-hmm. bit. And I'll admit, I've seen the movie twice, so I had a chance to revisit it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of interesting parallels between Shuri and Killmonger. Because Shuri is becoming Black Panther out of a sense of, she even said it, I'm here for retribution mm-hmm. and revenge and to, you know, avenge. I think, I suspect she's going to become part of the Avengers as well, just like T'Challa was. Mm-hmm. But she, her motives for this aren't the same as T'Challa's. T'Challa's motives were, you know, I am going to be, I'm the ruler of Wakanda and I'm going to protect my people and 
etc. She became Black Panther because she, you know, retribution. And same thing with Killmonger. Killmonger, you know, had this big, you know, sense of retribution for for all of us in the diaspora. Grief and pain. Yes, grief and pain. And it was interesting because the parallel is that when T'Challa went to the ancestral plane, mm-hmm. you know, he's outside in the savannah and the panthers are in the tree and it's all, you can see the constellations and it's like this large expanse. Mm-hmm. When Killmonger went to the ancestral plane, he was inside the apartment mm-hmm. um, where, where his father died. Mm-hmm. And for Shuri, when she went to the ancestral plane. Fiery place. Well, but she was in the throne room. She was underwater first. Well, first of all, and I think that was a throwback to the fact that that she was she was synthesizing this herb, the 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 heart shaped herb from this underwater seaweed thing. So I think that that part of that is triggering from that. But then when she surfaces, she is in the throne room mm-hmm. where her mother died, where Queen Ramona, Ramonda died, um, and so. And and so having it be these interior ancestral plane scenes versus an outside outdoor kind of in this larger you know mm-hmm. maybe an actual plane mm-hmm. scene, mm-hmm. you know I thought that was an interesting lots of interesting parallels mm-hmm. uh, there, and jumping out to the to the end, this is a, a, not a clean segue, but looking wet at the time when Shuri causes. Um, when Shuri has Namor yield versus just killing him, mm-hmm. reminded me of Warrior Falls in the first Black Panther movie when um, when uh, T'Challa gave had M'Baku yield, mm-hmm. and you gained an ally as opposed to having all of Jabari land pissed off at you. Mm-hmm. And same thing here. I mean, M'Baku in the movie was correct. If you end up killing Namor, you're doing more than just killing the ruler. I mean, because obviously uh, what set off the first Black Panther movie is the death of King um, T'Chaka, you know, T'Challa's father. And, of course, the whole country mourns that. But killing a ruler is different from killing their god. Mm -hmm. And and so I think that she, uh, Shuri's character, was using some wisdom there and that better to have these very powerful as you just mentioned people as allies more powerful more yeah ostensibly mm-hmm. ostensibly um more powerful mm-hmm. and and so i thought i saw a lot of different parallels there that i thought were very very interesting mm-hmm. now was there anything in the movie that you didn't like or was unsatisfying or unfulfilling in some kind of way i will say for me riri ironheart that whole storyline was dissatisfying to me. That, as an origin story for her, was very dissatisfying. You know, I, I can't disagree with you. I mean, I think that I think it's great that they had her be in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that I think it needed to be shorter or longer. Well, it couldn't be longer because it was the movie is two hours and forty minutes, and and, and it would feel been, too long to me. Well, the movie didn't feel long to me at all. Of I mean, course, actually, I'm, I'm the architect of the seven hour <laughs> podcast. So, <laughs> no, the movie didn't feel long, but you know, for for practical purposes, for the theater going, you know, mm-hmm. for the business of making oh, movies, of course, purpose, yeah. you can't go, you know, you can't do a three and a half hour long movie and it would have been very dissatisfying if they had made it three and a half or four hours and then said, well, we're going to make Wakanda forever part one and part two. I'm sure. Titanic and Avatar would have something to say about the economic success that one can have with yes. long movies. Yes. Just as an aside. But, I mean, but going back to, to Riri, I mean, I think that you, you make a good point. And Re they, to the re. I mean, they they could have spent more time with her, um, you know, and I think that, I mean, there's there's a whole spinoff Disney Plus series that mm-hmm. goes back to her, and I hope that they do more episodes that sort of flash back to flesh out her backstory. Um, I mean, there was a whole lot of black girl magic in this movie, so I was actually was. very happy that she was there, mm-hmm. but I do agree. They, they, they could have spent more time with her, um, and I think they could have spent more time also with the whole Midnight Angels, mm-hmm. you know, 
where Okoye and and the other um, Dora Milaje uh, warriors in their new outfits. And that's probably what the series is going to be, the Disney series, most likely. Yeah, and so I think that you know having some of those characters being being introduced. I mean, essentially the 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 feature film is kind of the tent pole that then holds up these you know episodic television series, mm-hmm. and so you know. Yes. <laughs> was it dissatisfying? Yeah. They could have spent, mm-hmm. you know, they could have spent a long time. I actually would have been very happy with a, an Ironheart movie um, and hope that maybe there will be one. A la Wonder Woman. That character has been robbed of that, most likely. But you can always go back. Again, it's almost like seeing a trailer. We've already seen the trailer for Ironheart already. There's no surprise. There's no intrigue. We already know what this is already. And right. So it's, it's, it's a mental exercise rather than being sort of fully engaged emotionally. Fair That's enough. what I'm talking about in terms of previews. Fair enough. Ruin it. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, I also would say I was a little, a little dis- dissatisfied with sort of the maneuvering of Namor in the air. You know, Where the, are you now? The way, I mean, because it's one of those things. A little too skillful? Well, just a little too nimble, you know, and my enemies call me nimble. <laughs> and so, I mean, to me, there was a, there was one scene in the battle like over Wakanda where he's kind of like, almost like, if I'm being kind, he was kind of like dancing in the air, you know, and sort of jumping and leaping stop from <laughs> one spot to another. But it also very quickly reminded me of the scene in one of the Star Wars movies where, where Yoda is kind of like bouncing from one part of the Imperial Senate to the other, where he's able to move very nimbly. And in both cases, I was expecting more of a, a leap than a hop. And Well, Yoda's just a blur. I mean, but he was kind of like <laughs> bouncing around like a Looney Tunes character almost. In a and, blur. And, you know, there was that one scene where, where he's just a little more nimble than I would expect. I was expecting more soaring on his so, part. So it's the aerodynamics associated with the actual wings <laughs> on his ankles. But I mean, it's a suspension of disbelief thing. So I mean, I kind of like let go of it. But that was, but that's a minor thing in the sense that, you know, I those wings on your ankles right there won't pull that off. You can't fly like that. I just was expecting something. You come else back a little down bit to more... Earth right now. <laughs> I don't know. It just that part of it was. I was kind of like, it just it. It, it was a little bit grating against me, especially whereas elsewhere in the movie, Namor's character is moving more deliberately and more powerfully. I mean, even though it was in the trailer, one of my favorite like little vignettes mm-hmm. was the scene where he's descending to the throne mm-hmm. you know when he's like you know rise talokan mm-hmm. you know but when he's like because you could tell he's pissed off and he's just like but he is like in his full magnificence as mm-hmm. he's but it, but it's slow where he's descending and got a little half twist in there to too. the throne and and so to me you know to contrast that with him kind of like bouncing around you know oh i'm gonna go smash this you know uh, aircraft and again bounce to the smash and, you know that was a little too abrupt for me um whereas and and the scene like when he after he's done all that bouncing around he kind of comes in to square off against the queen and he comes in slowly and deliberately and menacingly mm-hmm. to line up and to me that is much more in line with his character um, of like, I am this powerful, deliberate, intentional, unstoppable force. But I got speed though too. But then I can be nimble and bounce around. That's right. So, I got speed too. <laughs> so that was that was a little bit something for me. But you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's it's all fictional, so I can't get too caught up in that. Well, the whole element of the movie that I enjoy most, believe it or not, has nothing to do with the storytelling at all. It's just the the world building. And I've mentioned this in previous mm-hmm. episodes over the course of this first season. I want to mention something that I read. And I came across this on the Akaroko platform. We love the emerging Akaroko platform. Mm-hmm. Because we believe it's going to fulfill its mission of centering African cinema and African storytelling. But anyway, there was a, an essay on the platform by Farima Kona Kito. Farima Kone Kito. And it was entitled, 
Wakanda Forever as speculative materialization of a psychogeographical space for Africa and her diaspora. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Farima. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so I actually urge you to read it because she talks about feminism in the film. Yes. The distinctions, if there are any, between sort of Afrofuturism and African futurism. Mm-hmm. But she also said this. Quote, the first thing one notices when watching Wakanda Forever is the array of traditional and contemporary African cultural practices mm-hmm. placed in a constant state of coexistence. Mm-hmm. From a hint of Asante culture here or Zulu regalia there to architectural designs echoing those of contemporary architect Francis Carre, mm-hmm. the film presents a roster with no apparent confoundment cultural configuration that strongly echoes that of contemporary African countries mm-hmm. where many ethnic groups coexist under the umbrella of a sovereign state. Such intentionality in the conceptualization of Wakanda necessitated extensive research on African countries, cultures, and various ethnic groups involving a team of researchers and cultural workers focusing on Afrofuturism and Africana studies. So what she points to in that I agree with. It's always the thing that moves me most. I mean, that's part of what the what some of the appeal of it is, is mm-hmm. that for those of us out here in the diaspora, mm-hmm. you know... Oh, it's, it's a diaspora. We don't have a, a a specific, strong spot that we can point to. Wakatis, stand up. <laughs> Wakatis, stand up. And so, and so, you know, generally, broadly speaking, it's Western Africa, but, but, I mean, but we can't say, you know, we can't trace it to like, you know, like some other people in other cultures can. It's like, oh, I'm originally from this town in XYZ country. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of it being embracing this Pan-African-ness, That's right. mm-hmm. if I can make up a word, Pan-Africanness. Mm-hmm. You know, I think is really fantastic. I mean, for example, the whole scene with the funeral procession, mm-hmm. the whole notion of mm-hmm. dressing in white for is a Ghanaian thing mm-hmm. you know the whole dressing in white but then if you look at the individual patterns of the fabrics and such they're reflecting all kinds of other things mm-hmm. and and so and then quite frankly going back to to a culture that's a little bit closer to me geographically you gotta talk about the Andinkra too but go ahead but I mean like but the whole notion of a festive parade during while you're mourning goes to the whole second line parade you see in New Orleans, mm-hmm. which draws its roots back to Africa of mm-hmm. of of dancing circles that got straightened out into a line um, and and mourning circles and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, but having all those things all kind of come together, mm-hmm. first of all, it was beautiful. It was. But also um, it does. It, it it makes you feel you know wherever you are and whatever you feel your connections are uh, as part of the diaspora, your connections to Africa because it is touching on so many different cultures. There's there's something there for everyone, and I and I think that's you know it's it's a big tent that we've we've said before, and I think that's really fantastic. I actually think they could have gone even farther with that mm-hmm. actually, and hope that they will do so in the Disney series. You can actually sort of be in homes. You can sort of be mm-hmm. in other spaces sort of within that community and have a chance to see more of those kinds of things. And I really hope that we have a chance to see that. Yes. And speaking of which, there are two great articles in Architectural Digest about these very topics. Mm. One of the articles includes a video from Sam Williams. He's an architect of African descent, and he talks about some of the specific architectural and design influences that he sees in the film. Very interesting. And there is a second article about how Hannah Beachler literally made an underwater set for the movie. Nice. So cool. So some of you have seen already that she's put on social media some of these things. And so if you're not already, you can follow her at Hannah E. Beachler, H-A-N-N-A-H-E-B-L-E-A-C-H-L-E-R, Hannah E. Beachler. And let me also say, Sister Farima concludes by saying, Wakanda Forever achieved what many thought a Marvel movie was incapable of doing, resisting the temptation of telling a derivative, monolithic, Africa-themed Marvel story. It provides range in its depiction of Africa and its diaspora with poise Mm -hmm. and subtlety. I largely agree with that. Okay. They did put the Andinkra symbols when they were doing the burning at the end mm-hmm. on that cloth, 
which I think means sort of you know God's protection or God's care or something something along those lines. It's a it's a specific adinkra symbol. We'll make a we'll post that on Instagram or Twitter if it's still around. Um, <laughs> and even subtle things like you know the naming of Toussaint. Oh, I love that. I thought that was fantastic. As your I absolutely name. love that. You know. Uh, and the address was 1804, <laughs> which was the year of the Haitian Revolution. Mm-hmm. And so I think that being able to touch upon so many of those things, you know, was, I mean, part of part of the appeal of it. And, I mean, a lot of questions still remain. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the questions that I have is, you know, for a super secretive society... That's in the Marvel Universe. Been mm-hmm. there since 15-whatever. Mm-hmm. What'd they do about the snap? When Thanos mm-hmm. snapped half of the world away. Mm-hmm. So half of everything alive. So half his people went, foop. And he wasn't really, you know, Namor and Talokan weren't really a part of all this. And so... What, there are questions. You know, what do you, what do, you do? What, what, what happened there? And, and, and how they feel about it. And then how they feel about, like, five years later, foop, everyone comes back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what do you, you know, what, I'm, I'm curious to know what kind of happened there. And I'm curious to know. You've got to ask Dr. Strange that one. Yeah. And I'm also very curious to know. Was M'Baku joking at the very end of the movie? Oh, talk about I, challenging the throne? I think he was, but, you know, much like in the original um, Black Panther, T'Challa was Black Panther but wasn't king. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, I mean, it helps to be in the royal family and everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you could have Shuri be Black Panther and have mm-hmm. somebody else be king or queen. Mm hmm. And so I think, you know, that kind of thing would be is an interesting question that still sort of is, is out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so I'm looking forward to the next I'm looking forward to the next Black Panther. Well, how did the audience react with seeing Toussaint, a.k.a. Prince T'Challa? Oh, people were making like they're like, ah, mm-hmm. what? Uh, exactly. And I'll say this, that... See, we were able to enjoy that moment together because no one had seen that. Mm-hmm. And having watched the movie a second time, mm-hmm. he's, he's in a scene prior to that when... Um, with Grandma. When Ramonda comes in to see... Um, comes, comes in to Haiti the first time. Uh, you know, that's... You know, the, doesn't, doesn't he escort her in? Yes. You know, when he's going to see Nakia... Uh, so you're kind of like, oh, wait a minute, he's there. And so you, you have to kind of wonder, like, does he know that's his grandma? Or does, you know, what's, you know, what's the deal there? Mm-hmm. You know, because they did confirm that she'd had a chance to meet him prior. But did he know that was his grandmother or mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's all very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't, I, can't, I can't wait to see more. And I, I, I look forward to seeing more of Namor. Mm-hmm. and um, more of that space. So, Any other thoughts about the film and the film-going experience? Uh, I enjoyed it. It was, I mean, this is our first time going to the theater since the pandemic, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was interesting to, to do that and, and exciting, and exciting to be, you know, this kind of movie, these kinds of larger-than-life mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. deserve to be in a larger-than-life you know, space, and so going into a... IMAX, here we come. Seriously. Um, but going into a, a room where, you know, where your cell phone is off and, you, and, you, and we had a, someone watching the kids and being able to do nothing but be in that movie mm-hmm. was, was tremendous. And it was a wonderful experience, a wonderful way of sort of breaking back into uh, going to movies. Mm-hmm. So earlier, we read the quote from Toni Morrison about never, ever promoting a trivial, meaningless life. So let's go a tad bit deeper, because we only have a couple minutes left, but a tad bit deeper. How does the film, if at all, provide any directions or suggestions on how we in the real world can get to our proverbial promised land? Will Caddis stand up? Well, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. love wins. And, and, Mercy wins, maybe? 
but I'm, I'm, and I do include mercy in mm-hmm. as part of love, mm-hmm. uh, love for your fellow person. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, Namor was simply trying to protect his people, mm-hmm. and you know, and you hear Mbaku as a character talk about like, well, this is what I need to do for my people. Mm-hmm. He says that repeatedly, mm-hmm. and. You know, to an extent, Shuri's charge as queen and her charge as Black Panther as the protector of Wakanda, mm-hmm. you know, is to take care of her people. Mm-hmm. And that is an expression of love. Mm-hmm. And showing mercy to someone who is, at the end of the day, trying to t- protect his people mm-hmm. is an expression of love. Mm-hmm. And at the same thing in terms of being able to... Love recognizes love. Yeah. And when Namor took Shuri down to Talakan, mm-hmm. it was in an effort to engender mm-hmm. affection mm-hmm. and it was and the gift of that bracelet was an affectionate thing mm-hmm. and meeting Toussaint as the result of the love between T'Challa and Nakia so I mean the the, the thing you, you can take back is you know love wins mm-hmm. and I you know one of the things that I took from it was that was yes terrible things happen yes you have losses yes you have you know things go wrong Mm -hmm. but throughout all these things you have love and it's love that you come back to if you center yourself on 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 vengefulness and retribution and all these other things that's incredibly destructive and nobody wins shout out spike lee i either love you but if i hate you do the right thing yes so doing the right thing to get us to Wakanda is to hate? Is no. that what you're saying? Is to hate? No, absolutely not. It is to love. To love. It is to love. To love each other, to love all those who are not in Wakanda, and to love everyone and to treat everyone, which isn't to say don't be prepared for war. Don't, don't, don't mistake this approach of love first for one of weakness. Mm-hmm. Don't mistake my kindness for weakness. Exactly. I'll cut you. with my vibranium spear Mm -hmm. so we're going to take a break and when we come back you know what we're playing (laughs) PVC's favorite game what would Anton say in response to the question who is the 2022 sky is black person of the year Ah, a little change in the game okay now obviously to meet was the 2021 sky is black person of Mm -hmm. the year but who would Anton say is the 22? Thank God we have a break. We will find that out when we come back. Sky is black. Sky is love. Yes, sky is love. Sky is... Sky is fleet of foot and fleet of wings. <laughs> sky is T'Challa. Sky is the ancestral plane. Amen. Sky is Shuri. Right on. Yes. Sky's Chadwick. Yes. Sky's Black. Sky is Olmec. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Heads up, everybody. I'm B. Francis Clark. And I'm Anton Anderson. And we have some exciting news. Yeah, we're halfway through our year of Ujama. Halfway through. And, whew, boy, has it been a journey. It's been a real journey for us to take this whole idea of redirecting our everyday consumer buying power and aim it towards black and black owned businesses a teftastic journey <laughs> check us out our episodes you'll learn more about what we mean by that because the idea is that ujama you know of course means cooperative economics and the idea has been to take you know whatever small percentage is at least in our households has been of our everyday buying going 110 baby 110 yeah and the aiming towards 110 exactly 110 (laughs) percent but even taking like whatever the percentage is let's say it's like two or three percent and just doubling that would make a huge impact on these businesses because they're small businesses and so our idea and when you listen to our episodes is to try to find ways everyday ways to not just have a one-off sale and be a sale but to be an ongoing, recurring customer. Quite frankly, it hasn't been easy, so go listen to our episodes and follow us as we go on that path to making Ujama happen every single day. The journey to 110. <laughs> Join us 
Garrett Pujama. Pujama math, baby. (laughs) 